You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Antler Up podcast. On this week's episode, I was joined by Jeff Cordero, and you may have seen Jeff on YouTube where he makes some really great content regarding archery and hunting, uh, but you may all also have seen him working in the pit on the racetrack for the 24 car on the weekends. And Jeff and I had a really fun conversation about life, archery, hunting, and a whole lot more. We begin this episode by getting an introduction to Jeff and hear how he is in the position he is in with his job in the NASCAR world and refreshing conversation, which I'm really thrilled Jeff shared with us. Following this up, we get into what really when Jeff picked up the bow and started hunting, you can hear the passion, the love he has for heading out west, hunting elk, but also how much he enjoys hunting whitetails in North Carolina. This past year, Jeff was the first form athlete winner of their outdoor challenge they held where he competed in archery and fitness activities and won $10,000. We got caught up about this event, TAC events, and where he will be hunting this upcoming year. With his job schedule, Jeff has some really hard dates to go in and out of the field. So hearing how he plans these trips and prepares was really awesome. We wrap things up hearing the importance to learn really to work on your own bow equipment or at the minimal learn to tie a D loop. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I believe you will as well. And Jeff, he's a good dude who loves archery and hunting like you listening. I'm sure we have a lot in common. So tune in, listen to some stories and a fun conversation with Jeff. Enjoy this fun episode. Antler up. And before we get into this episode, really quick, do a quick update. What's going on in the world of my life, I guess, right now? We're getting there, people. For some, the season is about to kick off, and for others, it's just a few weeks away. To give you a quick update on what I've been doing, really since the last check-in, I think a couple weeks ago I did this, really not a whole lot going on. I have been dialing in all my gear, getting into practice reps with really repelling and feeling extremely comfortable doing that. Also, I feel the most confident I've felt in a very long time behind my bow right now. Jeff and I will touch upon this in our conversation since we both are shooting elites now. And I have a trip planned in two weekends. I head back to Northeastern PA where I'll be putting out a few more remaining cameras and doctor up some of the mock spray scrapes, freshen up some batteries and some cameras, move some around a little bit. 
Uh, and then also my first hunt will be the Maryland opener. So I'm, I'm really excited to be going out early again this year, looking forward to sharing camp with some friends and getting back in the saddle pun intended, but thanks again, everyone for all your continued support. Uh, truly means a lot. And I plan on getting a new shirt designed up here soon and looking forward to getting that out to you all. So be on the lookout for that. And if you're already not subscribed to our YouTube channel, been putting out some more videos and trying to get some videos of the podcast up there as well as some other things that I've been doing. So appreciate if you go on there and subscribe means a lot. Enjoy this episode. Antler up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. And I'm joined on the other line uh, by Jeff Cordero. Jeff, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, dude, I'm, it's a pleasure. I like seeing fellow content creators, people that are out there putting themselves out there uh, that make really good stuff that also, you know, it's, it's good uh, as far as the production standpoint point goes but it's also good content it's uh meaningful it's purposeful uh so it's it's really cool to chat about you know who jeff is basically and and uh we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some hunting stuff and uh all all that good jazz but jeff man i uh, thanks for coming on it's awesome Dude, i appreciate it yeah. i love being on yeah uh, what um so let's let's dive into it we were kind of just talking a little bit beforehand you know you're talking i guess to give listeners an idea if they're not following you on YouTube and everything like that, who is Jeff? And we talked about you're from the Northeast area. So you're from Connecticut, I guess, dive into the, the elevator speech, your baseball card back, you know, backdrop or for you, I guess it would be your NASCAR card. So I guess you could, <laughs> you could talk a little bit about who you are and, and where you're coming from, man. Yeah, so uh, Jeff Cordero. Uh, right now I live in North Carolina because that's where work beholds me to. But originally, like you said, I'm from New England, from Connecticut. Um, lived there for the majority of the beginning part of my life. I did what everyone else does after high school, kind of went to college, was flunking out of college. But simultaneously, I was working on race cars at the local short track, and I needed to make a decision. I either quit working on race cars and pay attention in school or quit school and pay attention to race cars. And I obviously chose quitting school <laughs> and paying attention to race cars. So I packed everything I had up, moved down here to North Carolina to pursue a dream to work in NASCAR and, you know, hustled. And this is my 14th year of doing it now. So wow. it's paid off. And, uh, that is my full-time job. My full-time job is I'm the front tire changer on the 24 car for William Byron in the NASCAR cup series. Um, that eats up a lot of time and puts a lot of wrenches into hunting plans. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but yeah. 
it's a, it's a really cool job. It's a cool opportunity that I've had in life to be able to pursue a dream. Um, and then I started just, I kind of picked up a bow later in life. It's not something I had early and I think I was probably 28. So it's about six years ago. Okay. And, uh, picked up a bow for the first time just to try to get out in the woods and hunt. Cause some of the guys I worked with did. And here we are now, like six years later, um, creating content on YouTube and just trying to be as I'm trying to fill the gap that I thought I saw. Okay. Like there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great people, a lot of great content, but I felt like there was a little bit of a gap of like someone speaking directly to me. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, ah, oh, man, maybe my wife kind of convinced me like you should do it. Like just press record and start putting it up and there's going to be somebody that's going to watch it and somebody that's going to get something from it. And then that's my whole goal. If, if one person can get one thing from any one of my videos that helps them out, then it's been a success. Yeah. That's the way I've looked at it. I know when certain people that I talk to in, in the hunting world, not in the hunting world, friends, family, you know, why did you start doing your thing? Right. And I just respond back to with, I don't know. I just when it with the video side of things. I always was that individual. If I was buying a comfort or a vacuum, like the most random things, I want to look up a review, right? I want to see what someone is saying or a picture. Like I think what a lot of people do, and and I want to see if you do this. If you go on Amazon and you buy something, you're like, oh yeah, that's what I need. But I always look at the reviews in the sense of not read them, but the pictures because what looks like on their stock photo might be exactly what you need. And you look at what the, a review person's like, this is uh, not what I was hoping or think it was. It's like, okay, that not just saved, close. not even close. Yeah. Th- that just yeah. saved me 20, 30 bucks or whatever. Um, you know, that's, I just, I don't know. I always, like you said, I just wanted to put something out there and obviously being an educator, I wanted to learn more and kind of felt the same way when I would listen to certain podcasts. It was a lot of that Midwestern driven like food plot type stuff. And where I hunt in PA and where I grew up hunting my whole life, it was zero food plots, right? It was okay. What's the acorn drop? What is the browse? That's what that's, there's my food plot. And I, it wasn't really a lot of that, you know, when, when I started this, basically, I never like, there'd be that one person on the wired to hunt podcast but then, you know, then there would be 10 jury po- podcasts after that. It's like, okay, he's, he, there's no relation to what I'm doing to what he's doing. So, yeah. And I think like part of the, the YouTube thing is there's like when a new bow comes out, like Matthews will come out with the phase four elite will come out with the Omnia. There's, you can look up, there'll be 40 reviews. Mm-hmm. Not every, the way 40 people review a bow is completely different. different. Yeah. What, what you think about a bow might not be how I feel about a bow, might not be how somebody else feels about it. And I don't think, like, when everyone does the ultimate bow review, like, I don't think, like, there's every time I make a video, there's always something afterwards that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have recorded that <laughs> now that I'm sitting here editing and thinking about it. But in the moment, there's always stuff that gets missed. Yeah. So for me, like, whenever I watch, like, a review or read reviews online, I don't read one. I read 30. I read yeah. 40. I read 50. It's something, it's a character trait that got passed down to me from my dad. It's just <laughs> the over, you know, over analyzing of things and like making sure like when I make this decision, I'm completely comfortable. I know the pros and the cons of what, what it's going to, what I'm going to, what I'm getting. So yeah. I like yeah. that. I want to actually, this is actually really cool because it's funny how being uh, an educator, 
I mean, I believe in that continue, continuing education, but it's not the end all be all of meaning a diploma at the end. And I kind of like how you said, like you grinded, like you learned to get where you're at and you put in a lot of work. And that is something as a teacher now, like I really try to voice, I guess that opinion, I, I guess you could kind of say is because, man, I'm in a really shitty spot paying back school loans, right? That shouldn't have to be a, a thing for other individuals. So like when I have certain students in my classroom that I know pretty well in a sense of getting a chance to know them over the year. And I asked them like, what are your future plans? And I kind of like when some have that idea of like, I'm going to work or I'm going to a trade school and I'm doing this for two years. And I'm glad that it's not a, Oh my gosh, you need to have this college degree because man, it's like, I don't know if I could redo it all over again. I don't know what I would, I would, I would definitely would change some things. So I, I liked your perspective of like, listen, School is tough. I either either need to do one or the other, and you chose that latter, and it's worked out for you. Now, obviously, that's not for everybody, but I kind of liked how you said, you know, you, you chose that and you worked hard um, because, you know, off topic, my sister, nine years older than me, went to college, didn't finish, is highly successful. Her and her husband, you know, both of them actually no college degrees are making phenomenal amount of money. Not that money's everything, but they're well off. And there's, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, we were both teachers and, um, you know, <laughs> here we are. It's not like we, we could buy everything and anything, but at the same time, um, it's, it's nice to see people like yourself that don't have that, you know, per se, that thing hanging up on your wall. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to amount to anything. So that's, I don't know. It's just a cool perspective. And I know I have some students that listen to the podcast. So it's, you know, I wanted to kind of go back and touch upon that, man. Yeah. I'm just going to soapbox on that for a second. So what I didn't say in that, my, my elevator speech was that when I went to high school, I didn't go to like a traditional high school. I went to a vocational technical school. Nice. So I learned the plumbing trade while I was going to high school. Like my, I knew like, I'm look, I'm, when I apply myself at school, I can be good at it, but I cannot sit down. I cannot focus. Like I'd much rather be out there working with my hands, doing something physical than I would be, you know, reading a book and not regurgitating information, but like trying to retain information to pass a test, you know, like I knew that was never my thing. Like I could be good at it because I could apply myself, but if I can apply myself to that, I can apply myself to anything. And I went in like, if I, like if I wasn't, working in NASCAR, I would be plumbing and heating in Connecticut without a doubt. That's where I would be. I feel like I'm better off, but there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that career path Correct. because like I pursued a dream and the whole thing was, Hey, if this doesn't work, I didn't really have a plan B, but I did have something to fall back on. So I feel like, like, you know, that, that the generation that like I, we grew up in, it's kind of like you go to high school and then you go to college, you get yep. a degree and then you go, you know, you kind of, it's like a carved path that everyone wants to follow. I knew, I knew that I was never really going to follow in that path, but I was going to do it because like, if I would have graduated college, I would have been the first person in my immediate family to graduate college. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I dropped out. <laughs> I actually dropped out twice because yeah. I tried to go back to school in my thirties. And I just was like, this isn't, there's something else I can do. So yeah. I started a YouTube channel instead. Um, <laughs> YouTube university. Have, there you go. Yeah. But then I also have a sister who's, at Harvard law school right now. So, you know, that's her thing. She loves sitting in the book. She loves learning. She loves doing that kind of stuff. And so 
yeah, we're from the same family. Um, we just have different goals and aspirations in life and right. we both can be very successful. You know, all three, like I have another sister in there. So all three of us as siblings can be super successful, you know, in our career paths, but they don't have to be the same, same. career paths. Yeah. Amen, man. I, that's because like you said, you're 34, I'm 36. So we, same thing. It was, you go to college and I, I struggled in high school and, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm just so glad that, um, you know, I think right now, like you were saying this, this generation too, I think is start, like, there's a lot of things they're able to realize because of everything is at their fingertips, but it is, I just, I don't know, you work hard and go after what you want and follow your dream. And, you know, hopefully something works out. It worked out for, for you. And that's awesome, man. So you are down in North Carolina, you got the NASCAR mm -hmm. thing. What does that do look like for you in, in the hunting world? I guess, well, before we even dive into that, you were saying a couple of years ago, six years ago, when you picked up the bow, and I guess too, going back to, you like working with your hands and learning and, and growing, that's like archery in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, it, the NASCAR archery, like the two things coming together is, yeah. it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Cause I, man, the first time I killed a, a whitetail at 13 years old with a bow, I was actually telling a friend this, this story well, when I was down at the outer banks last week, uh, with some friends and I was saying how just that changed my view feeling everything when it came to hunting and I, I was 13 years old like I killed a, uh, a a buck and a doe when I was 12 with, with a rifle and it was awesome it was fun and then the next year I killed my first white tail was a doe with a bow and I'm up in this tree stand behind my dad's house on his property. And I just remember shaking and like grabbing the tree because I would thought I was going to fall oh, out. Yeah. Just what a, what a rush, what an emotion. Um, and then as I get older, like you said, take six years ago, plus whatever. And I get back into archery after life slows down a little bit and what rabbit holes you could go down. <laughs> oh, it is that like on Instagram, it's like, if I was a kid and I had adult money, you know, like yeah. that's, that's archery for me. It's, it's not yeah. picking up, picking up the archery thing. What was that like? So, um, here in North Carolina, the archery season's pretty generous. Uh, it starts middle, early September mm -hmm. and you can hunt archery all the way through December to the January 1st. You know, you can hunt rifle season like the way, I mean, I'm sure it's in most States, but like, you can hunt archery through all the seasons. Mm -hmm. And then in the County that I lived in at the time, I could hunt It closed down January 1st and it opened back up like January 9th. There was an urban archery season for, you know, cause we were overpopulated yeah. like, continuing to grow in the County we were in. So there was just a, like to, to trying to call more deer and I could hunt that all the way up until pretty much Valentine's day. So from wow. the beginning of September, September to Valentine's day, that's a long hunting season. Yeah. So the way I looked at it was, okay, if I want to get into hunting, like these guys I'm working with are, what do I need? I, I need a weapon to kill the animal, to harvest the animal. I can either go the bow route or the gun route. Now, both of those guys that I worked with had both. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, I don't want to get into both. I can't really afford both. And then I started weighing the pros and cons. Like in the, in the archery stuff, I have a small backyard. I could shoot 20 yards in my backyard. I could shoot 30 yards in my backyard. I'm not going to be able to shoot a 270 in my backyard in my development, you know? So, okay, then I have to get a gun range membership. And then you start going through all that. And I'm like, oh, ammo's expensive. And 
lo and behold, that I know what arrows cost at the time. (laughs) Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. It's one of those things where it was like the archery thing, it gave me more opportunity as in like time. Mm-hmm. And then it also gave me more opportunity to practice and do it, you know, at my house more regularly and be a master of that craft. Yeah. So that's kind of how I decided to go bow hunting. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with rifle hunting. I've, I've killed with a rifle before. Um, it's just, I kind of get fixated on, not one thing, but I get fixated on it and like, I want to be really good at it. So I, I devote a lot of time to it. I try not to disperse my time onto other things if I don't have to. Right. And the way archery works is today you probably got up, you slung some arrows and they were dead nuts. And you were like, yes. Yeah. And then later this <laughs> afternoon, you're going to go out and you're going to go, ah, oh, shit. Why can't I hit the friggin' pie plate out at 70 yards? <laughs> like, oh, I could like immediately leave here, go out in my garage, pick up my bow, shoot my target, which is 71 yards outside my garage door and just pinwheel six arrows in there put it down, go back inside, make lunch, go back out there and I'll be six inches to the left. Yeah. Though the group will be the same. Nothing's <laughs> changed. And I'm like, is my sight off? Whatever I'm doing in that moment is off. Yeah. That's the thing with about archery to me is what makes me always want to continue to come back is just that drive because I, I was very confident. I mean, I played sports my whole life. So that challenge of the technique type stuff, that's what I really like. Right. And so once it's you know six seven plus years ago when I actually it was probably we're looking at eight now when I was able to purchase like my first real flagship bow and when I bought that bow I just was confident had the you know punch trigger just boom 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 I mean I was I remember my wife being like wow you're like you're pretty really good you should enter like a like a shoot or something like that. I was like, yeah, I never really did. I just was confident shooting everything. Didn't think anything twice. The The whole content thing wasn't out there. To learn to get a little bit better, Dudley still had like the school of knock. This was oh, not, yeah. even, not even the one where he had like the backstrap videos. This was like... His older YouTube the videos. The original ones. The original like ones. The white background. Yeah. He's beanie hat. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I could implement some of this stuff and whatever. And then you start going down that rabbit hole. And then that's when all hell broke loose for me. I started having like target panic and all kinds of crap that I just, I never even thought about. It's just like, you're like telling yourself, like, go ahead and punch that. Like, just go ahead and have target panic. And then the last. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. I know. Right. And then this whole last year and a half, I, I worked extremely hard to slow down and get better basically. And I'm at a really good spot, man. So like you, when I, when I could go out there right now, I could start dropping pinwheels and all that type of stuff. And later it's my groups are all a couple inches to the left. And I'm like, what in the living hell? I just was out here last night shooting, just bombing it, having fun. And yeah, that's, that's a world of archery. And that's like, I think so for me, like go kind of tying the NASCAR thing back into it. 
race cars, the whole thing about race cars is they're just, there's no right answer, right? Um, Every driver drives a car a little bit differently. Track conditions change all the time. So you can be, you can have a setup that's close, but it's, you're always trying to tweak something a little bit to try to make that setup just a little bit better. So you can be that half a 10th better on a 30 second lap because half a 10th on 30 second laps versus for 60 laps, you know, you're going to be four tenths ahead at, you know, like whatever the math is. So you're always trying to find that one little thing, like in the pit stop world, we're doing eight and a half, nine second pit stops. Like a half of a 10th is a lot. It could take me six months to figure out how to get a 10th better on this one little tiny task that is, you can't even notice it, but if I can save a 10th, that's where I'm going to do it. And then that's kind of like getting into the archery world. Like depending on how everybody shoot, like I might not be able to shoot your bow mm-hmm. at all. And you might not be able to shoot mine or we might have very similar setups and we can shoot them really well. Right. And it's one of those things that it's, you don't know unless you try it. Like you can always, you can always make an adjustment that makes it worse right. for sure. Right. But then you go, okay, well I know if I do that, that's not going to work. And finding that way, once I started to get into like the indoor target archery stuff and finding out how to like really nitpick a setup, um, there are things that I would say generally matter a lot. And there's things that don't matter a ton, but they can make a big difference Mm -hmm. if you let them. It's kind of one of those things like I'm always tinkering with something, you know, an arrow setup, uh, fletching setup, um, having my cams be slightly out of time to make holding weight a little bit better just doing all these different things like with the, we both shoot a lipo. So we yep. have the adjustable let off. So uh, adjusting the let off to really find out what I really lo- what, what I can be accurately holding, like how much let off can I hold and how much steadier does it make me versus the other way around? How much right. let off can I get rid of? And does it make me worse? Yeah. What are some things that you really, you know, maybe goes against what everybody else says. Is there anything that you think of that you really like or not like basically? Um, I've tried and like, I've made videos about this and Dudley's making all these videos about it too. The right helical, left helical, three fletch, four fletch. Uh, and then the other one was, uh, FOC stuff. Um, I've tried it all and honest, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Uh, I posted a picture, I don't know, two, three days ago and I, I fletched up six arrows, three right helical, three left helical and shot them and they're all in the same group. Now I will say it, it, it matters or it depends, you know, if you're shooting a fixed blade, if you're shooting uh, or sorry, a double bevel fixed blade, if you're shooting an expandable, if you're shooting a field point, I really don't think it matters. Yeah. The arrow is going to clock one way. It's going to spin for a little bit and then it's going to go the other way. Yeah. You know, let me know, like, are you seeing seven inch variants on your groups? You know, cause yeah. And then if you're shooting a single bevel, I think it matters because now you're essentially fletching, you're having fletchings on both sides of the arrows now, because now the, the broadhead wants to spin one way. Mm-hmm. So you want to make it the arrow spin the way the broadhead wants to spin. Cause it's the thing punching through the air. But I don't think there's anything like generally that's like global, like, like I go against, right. um, I don't think shooting a heavy arrow is beneficial even for whitetail hunting. Um, you got guys like like Levi Morgan, I think, shot his moose last year with like a 440 grain arrow with a schwacker on it, you know? So it's like, <laughs> oh, you have to shoot a fixed blade or you yeah. have to shoot a like a, a big, huge fixed blade yeah. to shoot these big animals. Like, I don't, it, yeah. you put it where you need to put it. It doesn't really matter what you're shooting it with. Yeah. So I don't, I, I kind of think this, the more you're out there, 
the more you're going to get exposed. I've had bad shots with mechanicals. I've had bad shots with fixed blades. So I think it all just kind of depends, you yeah. know, um, I guarantee you with all those bad shots I had, if I made better shots, it wouldn't have mattered what was on the front of it. Yeah. Man, going back to your NASCAR and archery, kind of like how those worlds are so similar, like in, in the example you gave, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, I know, you know, Dan from uh, Elk Shape, he's always saying, always be tinkering. And yeah, I love it. <laughs> you, you know, and what's funny is though, I see both sides of it. I see where the individuals like yourself, like myself, where if I could just be that little much bit better, I'm going to at least try it, right? I'm going to test it out. I'm going to see. And then there's that other side where it's like, if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it, basically. Like, don't change it. And I I, I get that. But this is the stuff we like, I guess. Yeah, so there is a point of obviously... Now, anytime I make an adjustment to my bow, to my arrow setup, whatever I'm doing, I make one adjustment because if you make more than one, you don't know what's, what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I will make one adjustment. Typically I'll make an adjustment. Let's let's say I'll do my let off. I'll change my let off my holding weight. I'll move it maybe a couple pounds. I'll shoot a bunch of arrows with my thumb button. I'll shoot a bunch of arrows with my hinge. I'll kind of take a little data plot of what it is like mentally um, or on a piece of paper, you can kind of see it, you punch a bunch of holes in it and you can kind of see the trends of things. And then I'll go back and then I'll do it again. And I'll be like, okay, that really didn't help much. There's no reason to keep pursuing down this road or, Hey, that helped a little bit. I'm going to leave that for tomorrow and I'm going to try it. Now we're filming. It's early August. It's to the point now where it's like, I'm going to be locked in on a setup here probably in the next week, week and a half, and I won't touch it. Right. Um, I feel I'm broadhead tuning right now. Once I get that tuned in, um, I'm not going to touch it. So I think the early months, like, you know, March, April, August, May, like anything up until like early August, that's your time to like go shoot the 3D stuff, go shoot total archery challenges, um, maybe go do like a local ASA or something like that and really – try a lot of different things, try to do, you know, try to tune different arrows, try to shoot different fletchings, try to do all these different things, but always take a note from where you started. Like, this is my setup, have it all written down. And then I always can go back to it. I have measurements of everything, peep heights, all that stuff. So there's always a way to get back to where you were. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that. And the one thing your arrows, well, I shouldn't say your arrow, but your bow build uh, you posted a video, so you're going with the Elite Omnia. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think, and I know you made that video of the the comfort mods and compared to the performance mods, you're still running those ones, the comfort ones? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I th- For me, on, the, on my Omnia, I tested the performance. I really love, love the the smooth or the comfort, whatever they're, they're calling them. I really like that feel on the Omni. Yeah. So much better. Uh, on my era, I didn't throw on the performance mods. I'd never even shot it with performance mods on it because I just, when I, I shot the Omnia first and I was like, Oh wow. The performance mods, let me shoot the era. Let me just go right to those comfort. So I didn't shoot the Omnia until after I purchased the Era with the performance mods on or with the um, smooth mods on it. Man, with both of them being on the perform or the smooth, unbelievable. And they're Dude, they're yeah. very similar, but the Omnia 
has a different hold to me at the at, at full draw but very similar everything else just is so similar and that was the one thing that i wanted as quote unquote like a backup bow i never had a carbon bow so i really love the i love the look of the era um the era to me i haven't had a lot of time behind the omnia yet uh jeff but i it's not even fully set up but man this era I, this is one of the best bows for me uh it checks all the boxes as far as the nitty gritty type of things, like you name it, like draw cycle, back wall, accuracy, just it, like all that type of stuff. But it just fits me. Like I can't explain it. Like if someone were to say why, why that bow, and I'm, I, it fits me and I freaking love shooting it. So I don't know what's, so with you running the the smooth talk, I guess a little bit about that, because I know you ran the performance mods and you won a friggin' $10,000 contest using yeah. that with the performance mods on. Um, so I guess, I, I, I mean, talk a little bit about that and like your decision with that. So uh, we talked about this at the very beginning. I'm not sure if you're recording at the time, but everyone tells everybody, Hey, when you go to a bow shop, shoot all the bows because they don't all feel the same. They don't all shoot the same. Something you might like is something I might not like. So me having the YouTube channel, I kind of had this opportunity where I'm like, hey, can I come and shoot all of these and just film them? And they're like, yeah. So I had a Matthews V3X. Uh, before that, I shot a Hoyt RX4 Ultra. Uh, before that, whatever. I've had bows. Yep. I've had different manufacturer bows. So I had no intentions of getting a new bow. The V3X felt just like the Phase 4 um, phase four is maybe just a little quieter, but not enough to make a difference for me. So I was kind of shooting all the bows. I came across the elite and I was like, Oh my God, mm -hmm. this thing just feels so good in my hand. The draw cycle was just titch, like not, it was a little stiff, but it just had these like really like peaks where it'd be like really stiff and then it dump off. And I'm like, okay, if I can adjust the let off into the back wall, then that'll take some of that away. But there's just this little hump that I couldn't quite get rid of. Mm -hmm. And that's where when I, I ended up buying an Omnia and then I ended up getting the smooth mods for it because, oh, it'll take three feet per second off of your arrow. I'm like, okay. When I did that, I just put one twist in each cable and I was right back up to the same <laughs> speed I was at. And it, it added like a pound and a quarter of draw weight. So it didn't do anything, you know, yeah. it didn't make it any worse, but it smoothed that draw cycle way up. Um, where now I can, it draws just as easily as any Hoyt, any Matthews, any, any flagship bow out there. Yeah. It draws just as smooth as all of them. Um, but it still has, I get the same speeds out of my Omnia at 72 pounds. than I do out of my B3X, which is twisted up to 77. Yeah. So I have less draw weight, but I'm getting the same speed out of it because the bow is a little more aggressive. And even though the bow is more aggressive, I feel like it vibrates less than my V3X and I feel like it's quieter. Yeah. It has a little bit of a different, the Matthews has more of a lower tone pop when the arrow goes off. Yep. The elite is maybe just a tick higher, right. but I feel like, like I haven't sat there. I don't have a decibel reader, but if you were to put next to the bows, I bet the elite is just a titch lower in decibel reading than the Matthews. Yeah. I, I will say this, the, uh, like my era, I feel like it's just one of those, like you shoot it, nice arrow flight it's so it's ridiculously quiet like my dad when i shot that for the first time like hanging out with him he was like holy shit chair that sucker is 
is quiet, like just extremely quiet. And he has a an older prime black three. And it's just funny because when that sucker goes off, it's like bang. I'm like, wow, dad, like we you know, yeah, it's 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 pretty loud. But his perspective on that was just awesome to hear that. And then I got my Omni and I threw a uh, peep sight in it. And I got it kind of, like I said, just lightly set up, not really tuned or even sighted in, but I stood at like 15 yards just to hit the target the other night when I was shooting the Arab. I was like, all right, let me just get some photos and maybe get, get a little bit sighted in, at least maybe get a 20 in on this Omnia. It just rips, man. Like that, oh, like yeah. when that hits, it's like, wham, like you could tell, the difference between the two bows, like I said, the era to me is like your Cadillac just going down. Like it's going, it, it has speed. It's slower. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's getting there. And I have no problems being on that, that T-Rex syndrome, short draw length stuff. So I've, I, I love this thing. And then that Omni, I'm like, wow, that is, I can't wait to smash a white tail with that. Cause that is just going to be like thump. And I can't wait to just see what that's going to do. That's one of those things I've gotten questions already this year. Like, are you shooting um, iron wheels like you shot last year? Are you going to shoot a VPA? Are you going to shoot, you know, a slick trick? Are you, are you going to shoot an expandable? Yep. Because the last couple of years I've kind of gone away from expandables, not because I think they're bad, just because I wanted, I never shot fixed blades when right. I first started. I just shot expandables. So I'm like, I want to try some fixed blades and see what kind of performance I get out of them. So last couple of years I have, I'll probably go back to an expandable this year because I'm shooting 29 and three quarter inch draw length. I'm shooting 72 pounds. I'm shooting an arrow that weighs 485, 490 grains. It doesn't matter what's on the front of it. It's, it's got enough energy. And yeah. especially with that Omnia, I know it's going through, um, or if it hits a rib, it's going through that rib at least yeah. into the body cavity. So yeah, I, I feel very confident in it. Like you said, I won. So First form, um, they created a first form outdoors division and they put up the November knockdown challenge last year, which was in November. You did these workouts online. You qualified. If you qualified, if you want to work out, you got to go to the first form headquarters and compete for a $10,000 winner take all prize. Okay. And the, I qualified for it along with, uh, nine other people. So 10 of us were there competing and it had fitness component to it. And then it had an archery component to it. So all the workouts had even the qualifying workouts, there was a fitness component. Then you shot an arrow or two or three, and then you did more fitness. And then, so it was a way to really like put you under stress, physical and mental stress. How well can you shoot? And it wasn't like these were the qualifiers were 20 yards. And I think the furthest one was 30. When we got to the competition, it was like 37 yards, yeah, 68 yards. You know, there was a lot longer shooting. So it was like, Oh, these, it's not like we're just going to sit here and plunk targets at 20, right. 25 yards. So um, it was a really cool event. Um, I ended up winning the first form November knockdown challenge. So I became the first pro staff for first form outdoors. I uh, won $10,000. And that Omnia is the bow that I chose. Like I'd only had it for a couple weeks and I had to make a decision. I either shoot my Matthews V3X, but there's nothing wrong with that bow or I shoot this Omnia. And I'd been shooting the Omni a lot. And I was like, I feel very confident that I can go there with this bow and make marginal shots because you're going to make marginal shots when your heart rate's through the roof Yeah, that I know the, the arrow is going to get where it needs to get. Yeah. 
That's awesome. If you're in the market for finding a new trail camera, I highly encourage you to look no further than Exodus. Exodus has two main options to choose from as far as cameras go. A budget-friendly option that doesn't compromise quality. The Exodus rival is the camera for you. Simplicity meets functionality in this easy-to-use, feature-rich cell camera. The rival offers crystal clear photo quality, easy setup and use with complete remote management through the app anywhere in the world. Two already are set up in Northeastern PA for me and they're working flawlessly. And if you're looking for an all-encompassing cell camera, seriously, look no further than the Render. It's their flagship camera. It stood the test of time for thousands of hunters across the country. I have one deployed here locally where I live and another one I'm saving for back at Northeastern PA. Again, zero issues. And I'll tell you what, Exodus stands by their five-year warranty for accidents or for theft top of the line customer service so see for yourself why so many made the switch to exodus and experience the exodus difference use code au to get 15 percent off your first camera today oh yeah you you have to uh you gotta take your rain back this year right you, like do you yeah, is it like yeah. a, like do you have to like go through the whole process like oh is jeff even going to make it here this year or is it like do you are automatically like get it or like nine people going to show up and then like smoke blows and you like come out like wearing the belt and it's like, what's that going to be this year? Do you, any, any idea? Man, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to have to go through the qualification process again. Yeah. Um, I will say that like the workouts that we did last year to qualify for them um, were a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Okay. Um, so working in NASCAR, a lot of the stuff we do, we don't do a lot of long, slow cardio endurance events. I am not a runner at all yeah um anything longer than any workout longer than like three or four minutes it's a little too long for me yeah <laughs> because we're like i said we're working in seconds windows yeah. that are only 10 seconds long so everything we do is to create high power outburst of energy um it's big power output stuff so those workouts were like tailor-made for me they were like four or five minutes or less and then you shoot an arrow between each round so for me, it was just, I could just dump the tank, push the gas pedal as hard as I can, um, go as hard as I can, try to shoot as accurately as I can, and hopefully my score works. Um, I had to repeat a few workouts because I made some, you know, errors shooting or errors in workout execution. But yeah, so the qualification workouts kind of fit into the wheelhouse of working out that I like to do. We get to the competition and that was, they were, the workouts at the competition were wildly different. So I'm actually training like globally to get better at those events because they were 25 minute long events they were 30 minute long events they were just grueling grinding rucking with the heavy backpack um carrying a 100 pound sandbag for three quarters of a mile you know it's yeah. just like all the stuff the workout was very well programmed where it was one of those this really correlates to actually hunting right so you go out there, you, the final work, I'll get the example. I'll, I'll spill the beans on this one, but you can go to the YouTube channel and watch these videos and it has all the workouts we did on it. You can see how bad I suffered at them. <laughs> but the last one was you ended, you started at point A and you had to go to point B, which is about three quarters of a mile. There was three implements at point A and you only were allowed to make two trips total. You had your bow and your backpack as if you're out hunting and then if you have a successful hunt, now you have to carry all this meat back. So all it was was a 100-pound sandbag. So you, you're only allowed to make two trips. You can choose which implements to take when you want to take them. 
but it's still, no matter how you shake it, it's still three quarters of a mile down this hill and then straight back up this hill to come get your other stuff. So do you take your pack and your bow first, or do you take the hundred pound sandbag first? Like the strategy that goes into it, but then it correlates. I'm like, well, I can see I've done this before. You know, I've killed a whitetail far enough away where I'm like, oh, shit, do I yeah. cut this up or do I, you know, try to drag it all out? So it's like, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now you've gone out west. You've done some elk hunting. What's yep. what? What do you have co- going on uh, for this year? Uh, so I drew a general season Montana combo tag again. Okay, so that's um, elk and mule deer. Then for that, I, for, my... for, I don't mean to cut you off on on that type yeah. of hunt. Do you focus on both or do you focus on one? I focus on one. Okay. So I have like the elk is the priority for me because that's what I want. Like mule deer are cool. I've just haven't had that mule deer itch yet. Like yeah. where I'm like, oh, I want to go kill a huge mule deer. But um, I really want to kill a big or just a bull elk in general. I've killed cow elk before, but I really want to just go out there and kill bull elk. So that is my priority. Last year, I actually came across a mule deer like on the last day at like 58 yards or something up this hill. And I kind of was like, Wow, that's the biggest deer I've ever seen before. I mean, it's not a huge mule deer, but right. I'm coming from East Coast whitetails. I'm like, that is a huge deer. I would love to kill that deer. And like just the shot opportunity, hard quartering away. I was kind of like, if, if I make a if I make a bad shot here and I search all night long, I have a hard out. So like with the NASCAR schedule, we race from I have hard, I have to be there at the racetrack every weekend. Yeah. So when I go on these hunts, I have hard out dates. Like no matter what happens, there's no calling work and being like, Hey, I just need to burn two more vacation days. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. There is you're leaving. Cause I have to be where I need to be. Right. So I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I made a poor shot, couldn't find this animal and then had to live with that, you know, for as, you know, the rest of time that knowing that I made a shot that wasn't probably going to be good. Um, and then, I didn't have the appropriate amount of time to go try to find this animal. So yeah, I prioritize one. Okay. Um, if I come across one and it's like a chip shot, I'm going to make it because you can't not pursue the animal you have a tag for in your pocket. Um, yeah, if that's not successful, I'll come back during rifle season. That's what's really cool about Montana is you can try archery season. And if it doesn't work, uh, you can come, come back, back on that general tag for rifle season. Nice. What else do you have then going on this year? Uh, I have just whitetails here in North Carolina and then depending on the schedule, how it kind of shakes out, uh, probably go down to Arizona and do an over the counter, um, mule deer hunt just to kind of get my feet kind of dipped into that. Uh, I have some friends that live down there in Arizona, so it's kind of a, Hey, go meet up with them and go hunt with them for a couple of days. Yeah. So with your schedule, because I mean, I'm, the same, but different, right? You have to, I have that hard out as well. How do you plan those types of trips? Like heck, even, uh, even if you're like, Hey, I want to go up to, I don't know, the, uh, Missouri, I just want to go to Missouri and I want to go hunt some whitetail or something like that. What, how are you planning those trips? Because it's important that, cause there's working individuals that only, you're only given that amount of time. So how do you prioritize or plan those types of trips? Yeah. So I would say there is a lot that goes into it and it's not just, Hey, how am I going to get there and hunt? It's how am I going to effectively use the amount of time that I have? And I usually work myself 
for at least the Western hunts, what I've done is I work myself backwards in my e-scouting plan. Mm. Um, e-scouting, because I don't get an opportunity to get boots on the ground. I can't go check these places out. I've never been to the same place twice so far. Um, so I don't, every time I step into a state or I walk into a unit, it's the first time I've ever been there. Okay. So e-scouting plays a huge factor, whether it's, you know, whitetail e-scouting, whether it's elk, mule deer, whatever. I tried to set myself up where earlier in the hunt, I'll be a little more aggressive and get a little further away from the truck. And then as the week wanes down, I try to get myself a little bit closer, knowing that like, if I put something down, it's going to be, you know, 15, 20 hours of shuttling meat back and forth. And that's nonstop. So Mm -hmm. you cut that into two days, you know, you're going to grind yourself in the dirt, but I can't kill something five miles back on the last day by myself or with one other person and expect to get it out. And then it's not even just expecting to get it out. I fly to all my hunts because for me, flying is worth it because it gives me more hours in the field. Right. Well, with the way flights have been this year, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But yeah. Um, typically that will give you the most time in the field. It's usually a little bit more expensive. You can't take as much stuff with you. And then conversely, you can't take as much stuff back with you. So there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Like, okay, if I were to get something down, I already ahead of time, I've called a meat processor, a butcher. Um, I see if they ship, where they ship, how they ship, if they can ship, try to get prices on that. If I'm not near one that ships, I figure out how, you know, where's the closest Walmart where I can go buy Coleman coolers, pack them up, duct tape them and pay a thousand dollars in airline check bags fees, you know, like trying to do all that and get it done ahead of time. Um, I find a taxidermist ahead of time. You just have to have everything planned out. So that way, when you, I always plan to be successful Mm -hmm. when I do am successful in this hunt, where can I go? What can I do to make it where like I have the checklist? If I'm, if I ever have a question, I don't have an answer to it. I've done a poor job planning for that trip. Yeah. And I've learned that over the years in NASCAR, you never want to be caught with your pants down and be in a situation (laughs) where you don't have not, or you don't know what you're supposed to do in this moment. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just, making sure that's how I can maximize my time and take a lot of the stress out of it, especially like for you and myself who have hard out dates where, okay, if I can do this, if I'm on day three and I kill something back here, I'm fine. If I'm on day four, I can't be more than X distance from the truck or X time walking away from wherever I'm at. Um, And then if I do, Hey, is this processor open 24 seven? Can I drop it off? Can I make an agreement with them ahead of time? It's just making sure you have your ducks in a row. So that way, you're not freaking out. Yeah. So you don't get into a bad position. Yeah. I like the, uh, I like the two parts of that where you said you you're planning for success. Number one, right. You like, you're planning when this does happen, how am I going to do it? I like the, you don't want to be caught with your pants down. That is good. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's the truth because I'm sure there's people, they spend all this time thinking about, okay, where am I hunting? I'm drawing this tag and just the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts. But then, Oh, like you said, okay, uh, now what? I am successful. I am standing over this animal. Uh, uh, okay, how am I getting this home, right? Like you said, you have to plan yeah. ahead, and I think that is critical in that in that game plan. In their states, and I've looked them up before, people that will, like, you know, pack out meals, um, whether they're mules themselves or people that are just, that will come pack meat out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I've looked them up, and everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, if we we can get out there. We will, but we're not going to guarantee you we can get out there. And it's yeah. like, 
uh, okay. So you can't rely on that. So I always, I always kind of not plan for the worst case, but I always plan for what I think is going to be the hardest to get out of. And then everything else from there is maybe just a little bit easier. Yeah. And the whole, like one thing that I think that a lot of people on YouTube portray or a lot of people talk about is you need to go 30 miles into the woods to go kill this, you know, 200 inch spike bull, you know, like, like you're never going to see an animal close to the road. And in all the time, all the Western hunting that I've done, I killed one cow elk 120 yards from the road. I was literally laying off the road 20 yards so I could get up over this hill to make this shot at 100 yards. I killed a cow 120 yards off of a public road. And then um, the Montana hunt I got into last year, which I saw the biggest bull I'd ever seen, this big six by six. I saw him within a half a mile from the National Forest Road I was on. So it's, I've also been in three miles deep in Colorado and come across elk. So it's kind of like, it's, you're going to see him, but you're going to see him where you see him. It's not, you don't have to pack in forever. So like, I know the early part of my week, yeah, that might be my, I'm going to go out for two nights and I'm going to bivy hunt and I'm going to do all the cool stuff that like everyone does on YouTube that (laughs) in the hunting shows, that's like, that's what they do. I'm going to do that for the first night or two. And then I'm going to work myself a little closer to the truck or I'm staying at the truck. I have the creature comforts. I have bottles of water. I have food to eat. You know, if it's raining, I can go sit in the truck, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it's, but I'm still going to go out there and I'm still going to push hard. I'm going to get out before the sun comes up. I'm going to come out after the sun goes down. You're, you can still push really hard and get into elk and get into animals right off the road. Right. It's just a matter of finding them wherever they're at. Yeah. I love that because that is exactly the conversation conversation that Josh Kirshner and I had towards the tail end of our episode a couple of weeks ago where he wrote an article and it was like the the things that you need to do to be successful, yeah. right? And it, it basically he was rebuttaling it all and it's just like hunt like just hunt your hunt. Uh, it's like for this situation the the wind is blowing from my back to this animal but it's hitting this little hill and it's going over that animal, right? Like, like just things like that. And like you were just saying, it's you're told to go five miles deep. And if beforehand, you're not going to see anything, you're not going to kill maybe, well, like you just said, 120 yards off, off a public road, like you're able to get that done. It's just the tough part about this is because, you know, I always think of us eight years ago, right? Like, like you six years ago, picking up your bow and like all that type of stuff. What, who are we, who are those individuals now when we put out that this video, this content or whatever, um, what are they seeing? And I like what you said, it, you know, whatever you get after and you, you know, you have that first opportunity and that's the other thing. If you have that tag, you're going to Montana or wherever you're going from North Carolina, I'm going, going from PA to uh, Missouri or heck even Ohio, the neighboring state. If I see a buck that is going to give me a shot opportunity that is, you know, my that whatever I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> like I have that tag for a reason. Like, I don't know. I'd, I always think back to one of my good friends, Tim, he his one of his fir- very first over to counter Colorado elk hunt. He, I think it was either sex or did he only have, have a cow tag? I can't remember. And literally within like the first 20 minutes, he got on an elk and he was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm good. Like I got a week or something like that. Yeah. He yeah. didn't see, he didn't see anything else. <laughs> I've, 
I've made that mistake in a Colorado elk hunting video I did, and it's on the YouTube. You guys can tell me how bad of a mistake I made. But <laughs> I got in, same thing. I got in the first day. Um, didn't I heard some bugles, but I'm like, they sounded really far off, kind of camped. Got up in the morning, and I could hear bugling when I was kind of packing up my tent. I'm like, oh, man. So I got on this, this herd of elk that probably had a couple bulls in it and a bunch of cows, enough where they were, like, destroying this hillside on the way up it. And I was like, this is in it already come yeah. on let's go yeah and i watched a five by five walk away that i i needed to go a few more steps to get a shot at him and i watched him walk away and i was like i'm gonna go after him because he didn't give me that shot opportunity and then when i kind of crested over this hill i had this i was in a unit where it was four points or more you had to have on the on one side to be able to harvest this bull mm-hmm. i came over the hill there's a four pointer down there pulling about six seven cows off of this harem and i was like uh, I double checked. I'm like, he's got the four points. I could shoot him, but I want to go after that five by five. That's screaming, walking away. And I let that shot opportunity go. I mean, it was a great broadside shot, 50 yards. I'm like, I oh, could easily make this. Yeah. And I let it go away and then never really got another opportunity for the rest of the hunt. And then for a year kicked myself in the teeth. Cause I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I come home and I'm like, you kind of get in the moment where you want to get that big bull because it makes for great content. It's, it's something really cool. You're like, I've seen them. Why would I go for something? Why would I get the what, two scoops of ice cream when I could get, get the three, three, you know? Exactly. Yep. So I got greedy and then you come home, you watch a bunch of these hunting videos. I think born and raised does a great job at this is those guys are just out there to kill elk. Mm-hmm. Very rarely are they like, Hey, we waited 20 years to draw this tag. We're going to hold out for something. Mostly if it's like, if it comes across, and it's legal, it's going down. And that's the, for me, whitetail hunting, that's the philosophy that I have. Um, I've gotten into the season where I've killed a couple North Carolina 11 pointers. They're just little spikes over here. (laughs) And you just like, I'm like, well, I haven't, I need me in the freezer. He's been hanging around long enough and we have an overpopulation of deer, whatever, here it goes. And I've killed smaller bucks. I've never killed anything that's like so huge that I'm like, oh, this is, this will, this is awesome. Never yeah. killed a 200. I probably never killed 120 inch whitetail. Right. But I'm successful every year because I punch tags on does. I fill my freezer and that's my whole, that's what I want to do when I go hunting. Right. I am not out to shoot. The, I want to shoot. Yeah. I want to shoot a big racked animal because they're cool. Yep. But at the same time, I'm also out there to fill my freezer and provide for my family. And if that's shooting whitetails, if that's shooting cow elk, uh, that's how most people are going to go out there and hunt and be successful. And that is, that's how you should define, not even define success, but like you shouldn't have to go out there to kill the 200 inch white tail. And if you're not killing a 200 inch white tail, you're a bad hunter. Right. It's not how it is. So yeah. if you're going out there making ethical shots and you're putting meat in your freezer, that's what it's about. Yeah, I agree, man. And just have fun. I, that is the one, yeah. that's the other piece where, I feel like the last couple of years I really struggled with because I was like really pressing, you know, having a, a platform doing this. It's like, I need to do this. I need to do that. And it's like, I don't need to do crap. Like, would it help? I'm sure. Do I care now? Yeah. Like I'm at the point where it's like, I just want to be able to have a fun conversation with you. And when I, like, I want things to be separate in a, in a, in a weird, not a, I don't want to say separate, but I want, I want this platform and what I'm actually doing in the woods to be separate where I'm not thinking about this, if that makes sense. Like I, I want to just be in the moment. I want to hunt 
and enjoy it and take take things that I know, like Beaumar Tonic, East Meets West podcast. I, I've said this now before, but I always think back to what Bo said when he, with having all these different people on his podcast, he was hearing all this different style of mobile hunting and what people are doing first sits the best sit. And then, you know, if that sit, you don't see anything like bounced, go to the, go to the next tree. And Bo and I grew up very similar in the sense of where not like we're different parts of the state, but just big woods, uh, not a whole lot of deer, but when you saw a, a good buck, it was a, it was a good mature buck. And I remember him saying the second that he stopped doing that of quote unquote implementing everything that all these guests are saying and doing when he was like, dude, I just know my area. I know what I've done growing up. I know it may take me three sits in this area. Yeah. It may not be the same exact tree, but it's in that same location. And he's been extremely successful the last couple of years, which is awesome. And that's just the thing that I like, I've, I I'll be shooting my bow or doing something. And I'm like, man, you literally bounced around to like three spots in one day. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so there's just things we're going into this season, man. I want to just separate it, enjoy it, and have at it. Because, I mean, Jeff, you can, I mean, awesome. You won the $10,000 from four, first four, you know, like all that stuff. It's cool for that week, you know, and then everybody kind of yeah. forgets it. Like, I'm not, I'm just saying that that's just everything. No matter what, like, oh, great. You killed a 400-inch bull. Okay, everybody loves that for that week. And then you move on. So it's just, there's that instant gratitude that, that I think people try for. And then like, now I'm just, man, hunt your hunt, enjoy it. Number one, just enjoy, 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 because in all honesty, man, it's, it, you know, you know, you, you want to have another day, right? So I don't know. I'll tie this back into the racing part of it, because I think racing taught me so much that kind of got me ready for hunting. Um, we go out there every weekend, there's 36 cars, there's 35 losers. Um, so you're constantly faced with, you know, losing, having to face that all the time. Sometimes it's your fault as a pit crew guy. Sometimes it's not your fault as a pit crew guy, but you have to just kind of eat it regardless of however it is. Mm -hmm. And it also has helped me in pressure situations, being able to like calm down, slow down the time, slow down the moment, understand that like if this doesn't happen and something goes wrong, it doesn't mean I'm a bad hunter. It doesn't mean I'm a bad shot with my bow. It just means I didn't execute in the time when I should have. Now there hopefully will be other opportunities. I know in racing there's 40 weeks of it. Like yeah. I know if I screw up tomorrow, I'm going to be able to come back next week and, you know, have an opportunity to do it again. Um, you know, you get enough of those opportunities that you mess up and we're a different road, but yeah, you're going to make mistakes, especially in pressure situations. Um, not everybody will go out there every single time and make that game winning free throw or hit that game winning base hit. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make poor shots. You're going to make bad decisions. Um, it's understanding like that you're going to make those and all those people that are, you know, the, the people that are super successful and they're killing these giant animals every year. They didn't do that by, just waking up one day and deciding, Hey, I'm just going to go kill 200 inch whitetail every right. year. Right. They've they've been doing, you look at them like the Lukowski's, how long have they been hunting right. forever? Right. You know, everything that they have is cultured on that farm to create monster bucks. And it's not like they decided to do it last year. Right. They've been doing it for probably 30 years hunting, if not more, I can guarantee you at the beginning part,
that for the first third, for the first quarter, I don't know. They probably made mistakes. They've still made bad shots. You know, you watch some of these guys that we watch on YouTube that are hunting shows. They'll make bad shots. Levi Morgan's going to miss an animal. You know, it's going to happen. So I think understanding that if you're going out there and having fun and doing what you want to do, um, however you want to do it, because what makes it fun is what you make it and understanding that you're going to make mistakes at it. And it's not the killing the animal is not the only thing that's fun on that hunt. Right. Like there's a ton of other stuff in the moment. It sucks. Sure. Doing the $10,000 competition hiking out, you know, a couple miles to get on bulls. Like it sucks in the moment. But then like three days after three days later, like Monday when I'm back at house, I'm like, God, I wish I could be out there doing that again. Yeah. You know? So it's yeah. like just enjoying the moments, understanding you're going to make mistakes, but just learning how to, fix those mistakes or just not make them again. Like yeah. that's where the fun is. That's where the, I think the constant, you know, turnover yeah, I, is for us. I, I like that. And then, so this past summer you, you mentioned like for people when they're shooting their bow to go get involved and you did two uh, tack events, you did Tennessee and then Utah. Yep. So you were the victim of uh, getting lost on the trail this, this past year in oh, Utah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you made it uh, back down. Well, Yeah. We, I will say I was leading the train uh, that got us lost, Okay, but I was following the flagging. So everyone I was with kind of agreed with me until we got to a point where we're like, we're kind of behind this target. This probably isn't safe. We're really bushwhacking a lot, way more than we should be. And we got far enough away where the group behind us, we were like, all right, we'll just give them a little bit. We'll let them shoot. And then we'll kind of get halfway back and see if they do the same thing. If they make the same mistake we did. Yeah. And then here comes um, the guys from Black Ovis and Dan Stay from Elkshape come over over the hill. I'm like, okay, good. They made the same mistake we did. Yeah. So I was like, all right. And then come to find out later that night, talk to um, AJ and some people from TAC, and they were like, oh, yeah, I guess someone was going up there and putting up flagging, trying to get people lost. Um, someone stole a target, I guess, <laughs> right off the mountain. Yeah, like how much – you really want to, you really want that target to go up there and hike it and yeah. take that thing. So, uh, it, yeah, that's not fun for yeah. any of us. Yeah. It just puts us in bad situations and it's just not fun for the local, like, come on guys. Yeah. We're just out there having fun. Yeah. I know we shut your mountain down for a couple of days, but yeah. you have it all year long. You have it all year long. I know. I, when I saw them post about it on Instagram during that time and then I saw that around that time as well, like on your social media that you were there, I was like, I wonder if Jeff got lost. And then boom, <laughs> he posted the video. Sure enough. <laughs> sure enough. I was like, all right. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at SpartanForge.ai. Um, yeah. Kind of to, to wrap things up, Jeff, one of the things that I think it's important to get your perspective on, and obviously being a pit crew guy, like you're saying, just your background, like you're that hands-on individual. So it's kind of an easy answer of why you like working on your own bow and, and tinkering and doing all that stuff yourself. But getting into this whole archery endeavor a couple of years ago, did you allow, like, did you start out by having shops work on your bow or did you from the get go or like, I'm engulfing in this. If I'm messing up, it's, it's going to be me doing it basically that way. Or 
have like that, like which one did it start out with? And, um, just because I think it's really important because I started going to shops and then the last, I would say right before COVID, I mean, I was doing my own, um, arrow fletchings for a very long time. So like that was the, that's the gateway drug basically. But then it's turned into the press device. And now I'm really the only person that works on it, me and and Jim. So how, how did that start for you? So I think it, it it sounds very similar to how you had it. Um, when I got into it, I knew nothing about the archery stuff. Yep. And um, the fact that these limbs are preloaded and there's so much tension on them, yep. I was like deathly afraid to get a razor blade anywhere <laughs> exactly. near the string to cut like a D loop off. So I let shops work on my stuff because I didn't know any different, right? Um, and I started the same way. The, the gateway drug to all of this is fletching arrows. Yep. It's... So you start, you buy it, you buy a fletching jig and you start fletching arrows and then you're like, oh man, I can, I can glue my own points in and so you start gluing <laughs> your own points in and then you get a, a, a cutoff wheel, like, like a Dremel and you start cutting your own arrows, which are like, that is a terrible idea to do. Just go buy an arrow Rip saw off. if you're going to do it. Yep. You buy an arrow saw and then same thing, you buy the vice and you start setting up rests and you start setting up sights and then you, you kind of work your way into it. Um. I would say for me, it was the same thing. It was like right before COVID, I picked up a bow press um, because I wanted to change out strings. And I'm like, I've watched enough videos and I've talked to enough people and I've watched the bow shop do it enough that I'm like, there's no different than me working on this bow than there is me putting a tire in a race car. It's going to go 200 miles an hour. Like, right. It's the same attention to detail that I have for the tire changing and the picker stuff that I'll have for my bow. And then once I kind of got into it, like you said, it's, you just learn over time to tinker with stuff. Um, sure. I've made, I've put a bus cable on around the cam backwards before and drew it back and almost had it at a hundred percent let off. Um, so I've made some mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Um, and some things that probably should have gotten me hurt, but you kind of like, it's, if you go into it really slow, if you're someone who wants to work on your own equipment, just take it a step at a time, learn how to do one thing and learn how to do that thing well. And then you can layer on the next thing on top of that. And then the next thing on top of that. So I think like you said, fletching arrows and kind of building arrows is like the gateway drug. If you can get into that, you can, you can do a whole, you can be stuck for three, four years, just fletching different arrow configurations, trying different veins, trying different things where it's enough to keep you occupied. Um, I like to tinker with my stuff a little too much probably sometimes. So for me having to drive to the bow shop 45 minutes every time down and back to have them like put a twist in a cable is like, I'll just buy the bow press. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I know it's funny because right two minutes down the road is Nate sellers from average Jack archery. Um, Oh yeah. Great resource. Yeah. So Nate's a good buddy of mine and I'll go down, we'll shoot the shit, we'll talk, we're, we're hanging out, and you'll get somebody to come in, and they're like, could you drop my peep, like, just, uh, like, a quarter inch? I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I, you know, or I need a new D-loop on, and I, I was there, right? I'm not, that's, I'm not oh, talking yeah. down on this person, but it's just funny, because now, like, I think every individual that is shooting a compound bow you need to know how to tie a D loop because God forbid you're out in six. I agree. Yeah. Like that is just one, like you need practice. It's, it is simple once you like figure it out and you could do it in your sleep. But I mean, the worst thing that you want to be able to do is go out on a hunt, whether you're local on a local hunt or not a local hunt, because you know, 
these guys hunt as well that own these shops and they're not going to be in there all the time. And the last thing they're going to want to do is put on just a D loop for you. So <laughs> learn, how, learn to do D loop at least. It's like driving your car. Like there's some, I was always taught as a, as a kid, there's prerequisites to driving your car. It's, you know how to change your oil. You know how to change your tires. Same thing. I think as just a basic beginner bow hunter or someone maybe who's been doing it for a while, who's relied on a shop to do everything, you should be able to sight in your sight and adjust it as needed. You should be able to move your rest, understand what it's going to do for your broadhead flight to kind of get your broadhead in your, because I was the guy for the first two years that my broadhead and my field point were eight inches apart. Yeah. And I just sighted my sight in for my broadhead because I didn't know any better. Yeah. So you can go online. There's a lot of great resources to tell you which way to move your rest. Um, it's a bunch of trial and error how to tie a D loop on and just how to inspect your stuff and like, Hey, this looks a little rough or Hey, this might need some attention, you know? So yeah. there's just some basic things and they're not, they're nothing intrusive. They're nothing like we were talking about where you need a bow press to do really much of that. Um, so it's, it's stuff that you can do at your house that you can just keep good maintenance on your stuff. So that way, when you get a flat in the side of the road, you're not waiting three hours for AAA to come help you. Right. You can just change a tire, get down the road, get on with your day. Yeah. And that's the one thing, man, with these elites. Oh my gosh. They're so easy to work on. Like just super easy with, uh, adjusting now. Like you, you got that little quarter inch, you're able to adjust your draw length. And like you said, you could really micro tune your let off with these elites. And, and then, you know, you're grabbing my bow right here. And then obviously with the, uh, little set lock technology on that, that thing is just butter. It makes everything so much easier. Yeah. They've done, and that was another reason kind of why I got into the Elite, and it's I like to tinker, and a yeah. lot of the bow companies now, um, Elite, Bowtech, um, I'm sure Matthews is going to have something coming out because they just put something on their new target bow, but mm -hmm. they're making it now where you need a bow press for less and less and less stuff. Um and they're really dialing that tuning in where it makes it, it makes it more efficient for the at home bow tuner, but it also makes it extremely more efficient for the shop where they can get people. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to say they're trying to get people in and out of the shop, but you know, you've gone to the bow shop before you go to buy a new bow. You need to schedule a couple hours yeah. because it's not like you just go in buy the bow, walk out. This isn't Cabela's. They're going to, which is nothing wrong with going to buy a bow to Cabela's, but there's, they're not just going to get you in and out as fast as possible. You're going to get in. You're going to do your draw length. You're going to shoot a bunch of bows. You're going to get all your peep side height stuff in. They're going to paper tune you. They're going to work on you to help you get it paper tuned better. And then next thing you know, you've been there for three hours. Right. If they can cut that time in half by not having to go to the bow press every single time, and they only have to go there to put the peep in or maybe twist the peep if it's on the other side of the string when you get your peep pipe right, then they've saved themselves an hour yep. and they can make your experience at bow shop way faster. Yeah. I like it, man. Jeff, dude, this was fun. This was, uh, I, I, I would like to maybe do one like in that, uh, November timeframe when first forms doing their workout program thing. I think that would be a cool little, even if it's like a mini one, we'll catch up on your season, what you got going on. And then obviously what first forms doing as far as that workout goes, just because, uh, again, being a teacher, I, I teach health and phys ed. So fitness and, and all that stuff is a big uh, proponent in my life and has been for, since I've 
really my whole life, but, you know, took things a little bit more serious once you, you get into college and you graduate with a kinesiology degree and personal training and all that jazz. So, uh, and this is what I, I teach. So uh, I think it'd be cool to do another one uh, later down the line if, if that would be up your alley and kind of do a little promotion for first form as well to get that out there to our listeners. So um, I really enjoyed this conversation. So where could people find you, follow along and, and uh, see what you're, you're all about, man? Yeah, Jeremy, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Uh, I'd love to come on again, and we can definitely do that towards yeah. November. I know we're doing it, and then I think once we get those dates, I can just get yeah. you ahead of time. We can plan that. So if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, at Jeff Cordero underscore YouTube. It's just at Jeff Cordero. I'm, I think with their tags, you can just do at Jeff Cordero underscore again um, on YouTube. And then my website is just www.jeffcordero.com. Um, you can find me there. Uh, anyone has got any questions or concerns, <laughs> please send me a message, I guess. But I try to get back as I tried to, you know, like that was one thing too, is I've messaged a bunch of people, yeah. you know, um, sometimes you get responses. Sometimes you don't, I try to respond as much as I can. Cause I was that guy once where yeah. I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help out as much as I can. Cause I'm just that person. Yeah. So. That's awesome, man. And I, I appreciate it. Uh, I enjoy it. Like I said earlier, when we've got rolling, man, I, I really enjoy your content. So if you have never checked it out, I highly encourage you to go to, to Jeff's uh, YouTube page. He does a really good job of, again, meaningful content. That's the, that's the key word there is meaningful. He's just not putting it out to put it out. So go give that a subscribe and uh, follow what he's doing on Instagram. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Jeff, pleasure, man. We'll talk soon. We'll see you guys all next week. Antler up. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Antler Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out over on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild accounts, as well as antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. See you then, and antler up.